Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time To Write, a new publication on Medium. And we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is ZibbyOwens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Listeners, if you enjoy this podcast, I promise you will love my new audiobook for Moms Don't Have Time to a Quarantine Anthology. It's not about the quarantine, but a lot of the essays were written during that time about other things that moms don't have time to do or other busy people, things like reading, eating, working out, breathing, having sex, and 60 best-selling and notable authors wrote essays. All those authors have been on this very podcast. So if you like to listen to my conversations, if you want to get to know these authors better, I read the audiobook myself. Check it out on Audible, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. Again, Audible, audiobook. Go listen to it. It's like 60 mini podcasts. I hope you enjoy. Special announcement. I am teaming up with Katie Couric Media's Wake Up Call and Random House to give away 100 copies of the book Stranger Care by Sarah Santillis. I'm really excited about this. Here's a little about Sarah's book, and we collectively are giving away 100 copies. After their decision not to have a biological child, Sarah Santillis and her husband, Eric, decide to adopt via the foster care system. Despite knowing that the system's goal is the child's reunification with the birth family, Sarah opens their home to a flurry of social workers who question them, evaluate them, and ultimately prepare them to welcome a child into their lives, even if it means most likely having to give the child back. Stranger Care is an illuminating read, and Sarah will be on this podcast soon. So, 
If you would like to enter for a chance to win, please go to the link in the episode description from right where you clicked on it and enter your email address, first and last name. By doing so, you're agreeing to the sweepstakes official rules and agree to receive communications and special offers from Katie Couric's wake up call and moms don't have time to read books. Thank you for doing it and enter to win today. Just go back to the episode description. Thanks again. Miranda Cowley Heller is the author of The Paper Palace. Miranda has worked as senior vice president and head of drama series at HBO, developing and overseeing such shows as The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, The Wire, Deadwood, and Big Love, among others. This is her first novel. She grew up spending summers on Cape Cod and now lives in California. Welcome, Miranda. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to talk about The Paper Palace. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here. So yeah. Oh, I I know I was just telling you this, but I am like completely obsessed with your book. It's the best fiction, best novel I've read in a while. It's so good. I could not put it down. I recommended it as soon as I could to like everybody I knew on Instagram and in my personal life and everywhere else. And I'm like, this is the book. This is anyway, I'm just so excited about it and so thrilled to get to talk to you about it. I am too. It's, and I love that. And thank you. And it's, you know, I was just saying a second ago that, you know, you write this thing in a complete bubble. I mean, first novel. So you write it in a complete bubble and then suddenly it's out there in the world. And so, of course, it's incredibly exciting to be, you know, that somebody likes it and loves it or whatever. So first, can you start out by telling everybody what the book is about? The book is about a woman named Elle Bishop, who's 50. She has three children. She's very happily married. And at the beginning of the book, Elle wakes up to realize she's done something rather extreme the night before. She has had sex outside a dinner party with her oldest and best friend, Jonas, the man she always thought she was going to marry. And while her husband and his wife and her mother were all inside at the dinner. (laughs) And in the next 24 hours, she's going to have to decide between the life that she has made with her wonderful husband, Peter, or the life she always dreamed about and probably would have lived if something terrible hadn't happened in her youth. And the story takes place on Cape Cod in the backwoods near Wellfleet. And I think when most people think of the Cape, they sort of imagine almost more like Newport or the Kennedy compound with these grassy lawns going down to sailboats and calm harbors or whatever. But the Outer Cape, I don't know if you've been there, is really wild. The further out you go, the more it's sort of national seashore. It's forests that go straight to the top of cliff dunes. And they, you know, it's um, you can just really get lost in the woods. It's that kind of a place and sandy roads. And I grew up spending every summer there. And so in any event, Elle has 24 hours to make this incredibly impossible decision. But the story is also told in 50 years of her life in sort of glimpses that add up to the moment that take us to the moment that's brought her to this precipice and to understand why after whatever it is, something like 40 years of friendship and never going there, why now? So in a, there's a sort of emotional mystery that runs through it. It's, it's a, a sort of a why done it instead of a who done it. And yeah, and I think it's really about it's not so much about these two men. It's really about this woman and this woman's life and finding herself. Nice job. (laughs) I hate that I put everybody on the spot, but I do think it's important for people to know, you know, what the general gist is, but there's like so much more. It's like 
divorce and marriage in New York City and Cape Cod and family and parents and step-parents and like yeah. family and trauma. And I, there's so much. You you have like everything you could hit. Mother, like being a mother, dealing with your mother, like mother-in-laws. <laughs> <That> <laughs> like there's like nothing you didn't hit in this book that like a woman could not relate to essentially, not just women, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's, you know, you don't write a book hopefully with a theme in mind, you know, you have an interest and then it, it sort of emerges, but if there is something in there, a sort of continuum, Elle comes from a family of divorce. Her mother comes from a family of divorce. There's a line in the book that says in my family, divorce is a just a seven letter word that could easily be exchanged with too bad or I'm bored. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and her mother who's called Wallace, who's a formidable figure, you know, at one point, you know, she just sort of says, you know, divorce is good for children when, and, but in fact, you know, there's a little bit of a Grimm's fairy tale aspect to this life. And as you say, there's her mother is her relationship with her mother, her mother's relationship to her mother before, Elle's relation to her daughter and to her sister, you know, all of these things are affected in kind of a domino effect by the past generations, but also by divorce and by what happens when your family splits up, you know, and, and in a way, that's why I think I set it on the Cape because that place is so important to me. That's where I find myself at home in my, you know, as a child of, my, as a child of divorce. And so the place that grounds her and shapes her life is this, you know, summer place. And because it's the one constant every, you know, every year of her life. I feel like I have the same attachment and I am a child of divorce and my grandparents were divorced and I got divorced. And now I feel really bad for whichever <laughs> kids of mine end up getting divorced. You know, that said, the second husbands of all three are really awesome guys. So, you know there's a perk, but I do feel like when things shift, you rely more on physical place so much so that like, you know, I've been coming to the same place, you know, out here on Long Island. And like, when like one store closes, that has been there forever. I'm like deeply wounded by it. You know, like, how can this change? I rely on this, you know, oh, where's the newspaper shop? Exactly. Where's the, exactly. yeah. <laughs> the penny candy store? Exactly. Now it's all like, you know, decrepit and like, you know, I'm like, this is so sad. You know? But anyway, so how did you tell me about this whole thing? I know. So you used to work as head of drama at HBO or something. I did for a while. I mean, that's sort of an ancient, not an ancient history chapter, but that was a well, while you, ago. You tell me like where, I only read from your bio, like trying to figure out right. how we got here to you writing this amazing writing this book. So take um, me back. When did this whole writing thing start and how did we get here and why this plot? Right. So I was always a novelist in my mind, <laughs> sort of starting at the age of whatever, seven or 10. And, and I wrote poetry when I was, you know, that was my path. I come from a family of writers and book editors and grew up in that soup. And, you know, I would, there was a lot of pressure. You know, you have to get your name in print. You have to do this. You have to do that. Coming from my grandfather, mostly. And that was my, you know, major in college. That was when I came out. My first proper job after being an assistant, I was the fiction and books, well, the associate fiction and books editor at Cosmopolitan Magazine. And then I left that job because I fell in love and moved to Italy. But there I was writing articles and travel pieces and, 
you know, and this was what I thought was my path. And I did some ghostwriting and I was a book doctor for various New York agents. And so, but when I tried to write something, it was just frankly bad. I, think. I mean, not, I mean, I couldn't access, I was so in my own way. Let's put it that way. Okay. I, because of the family, because of, you know, my husband's sister is a, novel, a successful novelist as well. Like there's just all this stuff. And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist at all. I'm very, a very imperfectionist. However, I just was like frozen because I thought I can never write something unless it's really good. I refuse to be humiliated in public. So all that pressure finally led me to just say, I just sort of put it aside, I guess, for a very long time. Who is your husband's sister, by the way? Zoe Heller, British novelist. uh, And, you know, my cousin's father, you know, divorced from my aunt, but is Martin Amos. So there's, you know, this pressure. Got it. And and pride. Good. Yeah. So, okay. So, eventually, my husband's British. We moved to, I get a job in LA by some miracle working at the new drama department at HBO with absolutely no experience, but a, a long series of miracles, basically. And I worked there for 10 years. We built a drama series department. My, you know, my boss, Carolyn Strauss, who's amazing. She had, she was already running comedy that had been established, and you know, all these specials and all that stuff. So this was, and then somebody else ran miniseries. But so this was this new thing, and the first show we did was The Sopranos. So that was like, you know, and so I did that. Six Feet Under the Wire, you know, Deadwood, et cetera, et cetera, which was amazing. And it's funny because people always say, oh, you know, did you bring your experience as a TV person to writing a book? And it's the, I would say like it was the exact opposite. I brought my experience as a literature or writing person or reading of literature, you know, person to HBO, to my job at HBO, you know, and maybe, and I think that was part of the fun was just like creating, finding voices that felt and creating sort of uh, writers who could create big stories, right? And then I quit after that period of time and sort of bumped around and I started this book and I started about two or three other books and then put them away. Again, I just sort of, I couldn't find it. Very briefly, then I went back to UCLA to get a art history degree. But in any event, very briefly, this was the one thing I just couldn't accomplish. And after I was going to go to grad school and then my husband's show was going to be set in New York. So therefore I had to say no to LA and then I applied to New York and then they changed the show back to LA. Oh and I year where I was going, what am I going to do with this one year? And one of my best friends, Libby said, we were on a hike and she just said, well, why don't you just take this as the one year to commit to writing if you're, if you don't do it, never talk about it again. And I was like, okay. And I pulled this project out of the drawer. And at the same time I started, I took this class, this amazing class with this guy called Jack Grapes. He's sort of a writing teacher genius, not for about, not fiction or anything like that, but it's called method writing, sort of like method acting. And what he teach, he, he undoes everything you've ever learned about anything, structure, anything. And he, makes you write very badly for a long time and then apply different 
you know, voices to bat, to sort of boring writing, to journaling or whatever. And so I got pulled apart and that was great for me as a writer. And, and then I started writing in, in his class, it sort of progresses and progresses. And I started writing a lot of poetry and I got some poetry published. And, and that is when something about that, the poetry is what broke me open finally to be able to write this book. And so I went back and I found it, you know, I did a, a class at a sort of novel five class at UCLA with this amazing guy, Mark Sarvis, who's a novelist. I don't know if you know his work, but he's my mentor, I would say. And I just wrote this book slowly but shortly. <laughs> so there were huge gaps in time. You know, I started it and then there were years in between. But somehow writing poetry, I think, got me out of this like frontal lobe space, you know, and allowed me to just like, and also I just decided when I started writing it, no one will ever read this. I'm not going to tell anybody I'm doing it. I can say anything because no one's ever going to read it. <laughs> so that made me, that gave me this sort of freedom of like, I'm just doing this. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Yeah, I tried to so. uh, start writing this memoir I'm working on and I was so like just like frozen that finally in all caps, I was like, 
no one will see this, like not the real draft, like only for you. you know I, mean? <laughs> no, no, I mean, that's exactly what I, you, I had to do too, because I think those of us who really can get caught up in that, you know, I mean, it just took me so, such, so many years to get out of my own way. And I, and I knew it was in there for this very strange reason, like, because of the way I always had these huge, massive dreams of where I would dream paintings and dream, you know, entire architectural cities and sort of, you know, Game of Thrones-esque things and statues and art and blah. And, and I, so I knew it was in there. I just couldn't get to it somehow. And I, in my mind, I always had this vision of like, that my brain, my head was divided by this like plate, like, you know, and I had to like somehow scale it and like leap over to the back and finally manage to and like go down and, you know, get that writing stuff back, you know, <laughs> that I knew was there. Oh my gosh. So what, when you were thinking about this project, which part of the plot did you know all along or maybe none of it? None. 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 All I knew was that I was, you know, that I wanted to write. I mean, I knew none. I wrote, as they say, right. I wrote the whole thing into the dark. I didn't know anything that was going to happen from one day to the next. And that's what poetry taught me, by the way, to love the blank page. Whenever I have a, now a, a task for writing, it's the blank. I, I'll go away from the book. If, you know, when my editor said, well, I want, more of this. I have to open a blank page and not know what it's going to say. That's it. I have to take it, take it completely away. And I do think that sort of, you find lyricism in some strange way. And I know a lot of people, I used to be terrified of the blank page. And now it's like my most comforting thing. You know? Wow. And so, so all of it just unfolded as you went? Because it, and yeah. then you, did you have to, I mean, you must've had then gone back because it, you know, there's all this. Yeah. I mean, I went back, but I knew what it was about. Okay. So, right, I mean, in, in my mind, what interests me. So when I was very young and naive, but maybe not, you know, I became mildly obsessed with this John Lennon quote, you know, life is what happens when you're making other plans, I think it was. And, you know, I cut it out and I put it on the wall <laughs> of my bed, thing, you know, put, put it in my, taped it like you do with the thing, you know, in my journals. And there was just this one point in my life when I went back and looked at all these journals and I realized like as an adult I was still doing the exact same thing I was like living this life in my head that I was imagining but kind of ignoring my entire life that I was living or just sort of letting it all pass by and so I was very interested in like creating a character a structure around a character that mirrored that and sort of investigated that where you know, so the 50 years is the life, you know, represents in that sense, the life that L has actually led. And then the 24 hours is the chance to live the life that's been in her head, the fantasy that she's held. And, and so that was all I knew, just those two pieces to create, to, to show a life in 24 hours and a life in 50 years. It's not flashbacks. They're not flashbacks. It's two separate stories of the same woman and they meet time-wise just before sort of at the precipice the night before she does the thing she does it's but that way you know and so you understand I hope under you learn who she is and why she's here and then also you know I was also very interested in in the, you know it's sort of an obvious word but choices right how the smallest thing 
you know, can completely derail you or make your life. And it's just the tiny randomness of that, the choices that we inherit as well, you know, from our parents or grandparents, their, their love lives, how their love lives, you know, end up, you know, shaping who we are too. And so with L, I just love the idea of a, a character, a woman who has to make a choice between one incredible love and another equally incredible love. Both men are amazing. There's no way to choose, but what do you do if you have to make a choice? Your life depends on it, but there's no good answer you can find. So she's sort of on this, this emotional tightrope between two skyscrapers that say, and she's gonna fall if she doesn't go one way or the other, but what do you, you know, how do you make that choice? And so you, it just raised questions. And I think that's more how I followed the story, if that makes sense. You know, it raised the question for me of, you know, can you actually live a life filled with regrets? Who do I want to be true to in the end? You know, this is a woman in her 50s. So she's at a very different stage of life. And I thought that was also interesting. I don't think there are a lot of novels where there's a sort of sexy woman in her 50s. You know? Woman is like, I mean, she's like so getting busy with all, I mean, she's like, it's amazing. The scene in the, te- with the tent in the sand, I was like, oof, like that was, that was like, uh, I mean, there was some heavy stuff going on. <laughs> and by the way, not just with her, but even like, like I was really struck by how great a need for like sex, honestly, the women, all the women in the book really have and explain and enjoy it. Right. I mean, there's nothing shameful in this book. This is like, you know, I think about, and I'm forgetting their fa- Dixon, Dixon and his girlfriend yeah. just sort of like parading around naked around them. And like, you know, the mother, right. grandmother, like begging her husband for sex and like it always right. going on around them. Like also in, you know, obviously in, in all different shapes and forms, some healthy, some blatantly horrific, but in tr- like at the core, I feel like is this like, like embracing of women's sexuality forever. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, and I think these are powerhouses of women. Even the women who are weak or who do terrible things are, are real, really strong women. Mm-hmm. Women who have all gone through some sort of trauma, which I think you know, almost everybody unfortunately goes through some form of trauma in their life. And they've sort of had to put away childish things, as it were, you know, and in the case of Wallace, what her mother did, well, I mean, even going back to, you know, the the grandmother, Nanette, her, you know, she was this wealthy woman whose family lost everything in the crash. And suddenly she's sort of their currency. They want to sort of sell her. And, you know, at the same time, she's completely beholden to the man, which in that way, the husband, because she can't survive on her own. And that was a, that's a whole generation of the past that sort of weirdly reminded me of Jane Austen novels, which I love. You know, that thing of the women who can't, it's, it's hard for us to imagine entirely that, but it's a truth. And what I wanted was then to see, you know, who would, if Wallace, if the Nana hadn't been that person and Wallace hadn't had the life she had, would she have been a different person? And would Elle have, you know, gone to her mother more with her, you know, would they have been closer? All of these, what I wanted was, I think, to see how you can survive flaws and you can be still be strong and you can make mistakes. And I didn't want to judge anybody. I just wanted to 
yeah, to make them, the women real. That's it, you know? Wow. Well, I mean, there were so many different people who like came and went in the book and everybody who sort of entered stage left was like, you know, you could see them, you could smell and feel and like all those things they tell you to do to like create a scene and like get people in the scene. Like you did all those things, you know what I mean? Like every, like it all made it just even, and I noticed like you didn't even say that much sometimes, like even where you ended your chapters and where you stopped describing things. You know, I've heard somebody on the podcast was talking about like, you know, like don't underestimate the reader. Like the reader can figure it out. Like you don't need to give four extra sentences when they walk out of the room. You don't have to then see them close the door. You get it or so, you know what I mean? And I feel like you are like, that's, that's exactly what you're doing. Like so often it's just a line or two, but it conjures up entire experiences. Well, I think, I mean, there's, you know, in, in life, what's in, what interests me are like sort of the silences in between. What, you, what the unsaid is just as resonant, right, as said. And so, and I think also my father, you know, in, when I was very small, you know, I brought him some, my first essay or whatever about the osprey or something, you know, and I was so excited. And I was at Nightingale at the time, I think. And anyway, I was probably 10 and, you know, my parents were already divorced and, you know, he read the first p- paragraph or whatever of this thing. And he went, you know, starts, you know, like literally scratching stuff out. <laughs> and he goes, you know, you just need to know that the, the way to write, you know, it's always the shortest distance between two points, Miranda. Mm. You know, it's like, so of course I'm traumatized, but ultimately like best lesson ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So wow. you know, I think that that's, and it's the same thing with sort of high, low, of, you know, be, sort of bumping up, you know, something funny with something horrible or, you know, that like a dirty sock can have as much meaning in a weird way as, you know, a wedding. It depends what it represents to the character. It's not, you know, everybody's triggered by different things. And, you know, writers, I, I just love a lot of the writers who leave those spaces for us. Amazing. Okay. Well, I know we're like almost out of time and I could talk to you forever. I feel like I have a thousand other questions because I feel like these characters are actually real. And I already started like, I was like, oh, the character in in my book I'm reading, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are not real people. Like you have to stop. Like you can't share anecdotes. Anyway. Okay. Is this going to be a movie? Has it already been optioned? A, B, what advice would you have for aspiring authors? Although you've given a lot already. And then what are you going to do next? Those are my questions. Well, it was bought by HBO, actually, as, as a miniseries, although just in my own defense, there was a, an auction for it. It wasn't a gimme. <laughs> um, and I'm writing, the pi- I just turned in a new draft of the pilot, you know, executive producing, write it yeah. with uh, my partner, Lynette Howell-Taylor, hopefully, if, you know, <laughs> if they like it. And so that's what I'm working, but that's, so that's a and see. That's what I'm doing right now, but I'm very anxious then to get back to, you know, writing another novel. You know, that's going to be, that's sort of where my my heart is, but at the same time, dialogue is so much fun and so much fun to write, you know. I mean, and I I guess in terms of writers or, you know, writers who are having difficulty or aspiring or starting, you know, don't do what I did. (laughs) For one thing. Now, I would say what I learned is that there's no such thing as a real writer. In my mind, I get thinking like, so-and-so is a real writer. You know, I'm not a real writer. And 
so, you know, because I don't know what I'm going to write tomorrow. I haven't made an outline. I haven't, you know, I don't, I've never studied form or structure. You know, I was like, and it doesn't matter, you know, what, how, whether you have, you know, ass and chair or whether you go from like 6 a.m. to 12 every day or what you can. I mean, I wrote this when I had time sort of, you know, between doing or and then suddenly it was something. And so then it's, it, you know, gathers momentum. But, you know, the other tiny piece of advice or huge is that a friend of mine who's a novelist, said when I was going, oh God, it's so awful. It's taking so many years. And, and she said, when I was writing my first book, you know, everybody kept saying, oh yeah, your novel, you know, I had that feeling too. Like, oh yeah, you know, you're, you're writing a novel. You know, people do it, like, when's it, when is it going to be finished? And, <laughs> and she said the pressure was on her so much because she'd taken so long and she wanted to prove something that when she went and re- got her first copy of the book, basically, or whatever, you know, she realized it was completely not cooked. And she said to me, do not rush, because guess what? No one is waiting for this. <laughs> Nobody cares. You know, just take, make it yours. And so I would, I think that's really important too. There are no rules. You know, I mean, you can, like I write, you know, Il Doctoro quote, I'm sure you know, but, you know, you know, what does he say? He says writing for him was like driving in the fog at night, you can only see as far as your headlights can show, but you still can make the entire journey. And that's how I made the journey. And somebody else might have a completely other way, you know, just get out of your way and get out of your head, you know. I, I should just post that somewhere. That, that applies to everything. I mean, For everything. Writing, I, yeah. <laughs> and P.S. if I could do yeah. it. <laughs> you know, I know I shouldn't eat that brownie. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then I, oh, yeah. So. <laughs> now you can come on mom's no time to lose weight. We can start talking about that. Moms don't have time to, you know, exactly. <laughs> I don't, moms don't have time to write papers for their kids. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you asking me to do this? Again? I know. I just relearned all of American <laughs> history this year. I was like, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. Awesome. Well, Miranda, thank you. I'm so excited about your book. I'm so excited to see like what happens with it as it's launched into the world. I can't wait for other people to read it and just like get as excited as I did. And anyway, just really awesome. So congratulations. Well, Matt, thank you so much. It actually does mean the world, you know, it really does. And fingers crossed. I mean, it comes out on Tuesday. So yeah. here and Thursday in England and, you know, so. Hold ah. on, hold on. Buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> and cross all your fingers. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Okay. It's really, really nice to meet you. You too. All right. Have Take fun. care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.